Again, thank you so much for being here. If you are a guest, again, I, I pray that you feel welcome and you feel at home this morning. And that is a desire of my heart that as you come that you would feel at home and welcome. And so we pray that that is the case. We have been doing a, a series entitled Stewardship, uh, Building a Life of Stewardship. And uh, we started this just a couple weeks ago. And really the, the principle or the thought was just stewardship and I was going to find a couple different things and in my initial studies I, I came to a passage in the book of Malachi which is a very familiar stewardship uh, passage of scripture in Malachi chapter 3 and in my study I started to try to go as I often do is look back as to what was going on in that time and what was taking place in the passage of Scripture. And as I started to study just the book of Malachi in general and, and why it was being written and all of those things, I developed it basically into a verse-by-verse verse out of the book of Malachi, which wasn't initially supposed to be the case. But um, we're in the middle of chapter number 2 this morning, and we're continuing in on the, the, the life of a stewardship and, and dealing with stewardship, and I've said this every week, stewardship is not finances, stewardship is our lives, and, and a part of stewardship is, really what stewardship is, is when somebody has given you something and it's your job to manage it, and God has given each of us a life, uh, we sit here and we breathe, and He's given many of us families, many of us in this room have children, we have families that we are uh, stewards over, and, and so as we look at this whole topic, and we've, we've looked at this uh, over the last few weeks, that's been my heart behind it, is, is that our lives would be, that we would be stewards for Christ, that our life would be that of stewardship, and it's in every area. Last week we hit at the beginning of chapter 2 there in Malachi, Malachi and talking about integrity, and, and many of those where we talked specifically, it's, it's talking and being pointed out. I mentioned that Malachi just kind of took his finger and shoved it right into the priest's chest and just kind of called him out. And here we are at the, the middle of chapter 2, and, and we're talking about the family. And if you have read at all in this passage of Scripture, we know that here from uh, verse number 10, really through the end of chapter number 2, we're dealing with a specific thing that's really touchy. And I'm not going to get deep into the, the, the whole crux of what this is but this really this portion of scripture talks about divorce and it talks about the family and it goes specifically to the people of Israel and what they were dealing with it that day and this was a matter of the the covenant that was given to the children of Israel and it goes way back into Exodus and Deuteronomy and goes way back into those days but basically what we're looking at is they were told as a part of their covenant that they were not to marry outside of the, the children of Israel. And a lot of the fear of that and what, what that came from was outside of that was pagan worship and was things that would, would mix with their own faith and their own culture and their own beliefs. And they were, they, the covenant was to keep the, the children of Israel set apart and, and pure in that. And we see going back and... I'll hit on some of this. I'm probably getting ahead of myself a little bit. But, but the children of Israel started to go outside of their own, so to speak, and, and to marry outside. They broke the covenant. And so if we go back a little bit further, Ezra had them break those off. And there was divorce that took place at that time. And he broke those things off. And they had came back. They were marrying within. And then here again we see, we come a couple years or a couple hundred years later in Malachi's day. 
And they had started to do the same thing again. And Malachi comes back to them and basically challenges them, warns them, speaks directly at them and says, whoa, time out, what's going on? And really that's what has taken place throughout this whole book here in Malachi. And, and so this morning I'm going to take this a little bit with, with the, the life of stewardship within our homes and within our families. This is probably, it'll be about that quiet all morning long. I'm kind of prepared for that. I've already told my wife multiple times this is going to be probably one of the toughest sermons I've ever preached. None of you, no more than I, want anybody how to tell us how to run our homes. It's my home. I can run my home how I want to run my home, and you leave me alone. Unless you come to me asking me questions, don't tell me what I'm doing right or wrong inside of my home. My intention, and I hope you know my heart well enough by now, many of you that have been around me for quite a while, is not to get into your home. It's not for me to tell you what to do or what not to do. I'll be real honest. I have four children of my own. I have a wife and myself that I have to attempt to do uh, the right thing with. I, I have a problem with my own home. I don't want to be in yours as well. And I would guess that if you were to be honest with me, you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I, that's pretty much how I feel. I don't want to govern your home. I'm trying to make my own work. But I do believe that the family, the home inside of our society in which we live is more attacked probably than anything that we face and that we deal with. On every level of everything that is in and around and anywhere, the home is under attack in a great, great, great amount. I can remember when I was a child, I remember going back to my teen years and even, even thinking of it now, I didn't think much of it then, but my parents had set a standard, set a rule in my home, there was no MTV. And I used to think how dumb that was. What's wrong with MTV? There's music videos. Now they don't even play music videos on MTV. It's music video television, but I don't know that they even have videos anymore. But it was, it was one of those things, and we would always, you know, obviously we're kids. We attempt to, to try to sneak a little MTV here or there. But I never understood it as a teenager, and many of the teenagers that sit here today would say the same thing. Well, my parents give me these rules, and I don't understand it, and it's just so we don't have any fun. We can't be a part of anything. I remember my parents wouldn't let me go to the mall with my friends. I thought I was going to be slick one time, and I went to the mall. Guess who showed up? That is called embarrassing. But there was things that were said in my home for me not to do. And when I look at MTV, and even though that's really, I don't know how much MTV culture we have today, but when I look back from when I was a kid, looking back 10, 15, 20 years ago when I was a preteen, I stop and I think, now having done youth ministry for 10 plus years, dealing with many parents and many students, and I go, thank you mom and dad for saying no MTV. MTV has a goal to get you by the time you're about 8 years old. And they know if they get you when you're 8 years old, by the time you're 15, 16, 18, 20, 25 years old, the pop, the pop culture has you. 
the students that sit over here, if they were grabbed at this age, the pop, the, the pulp, the pop culture has them. Do you realize, and I'm assuming that most of you do, our generation, in your homes, we live based on the pop culture. We may say we don't like it. We may say we don't want it in our homes. We may do what we can do. But the generation in which we live and have lived for a long time, this isn't just something that our 15-year-olds deal with today. You dealt with it when you were 15 years old, whether you're 60 years old or whether you're 40. It's been around for a long time. I read in my office sermons that go back to the times of the 40s and 50s that my grandfather had. And guess what they were saying? America is going to hell in a handbasket. And guess what we're saying? 50 to 100 years, 60, 70 years later, the same exact thing. This isn't something that just took place yesterday. But our homes are under attack. The computer is destroying many of our homes. Men in this room, I know we don't like to talk about the statistics of any of those things, but in this room, men Statistically, close to 60 to 70% of you are involved on internet pornography. It's destroying our homes. The cool things that we all carry around, that our kids carry around, that they're looking at and that you're looking at right now, these incredible cell phones that we use and the iPads that you have and the things that we use on a daily basis are destroying our homes. You say, well, you have one. I do. Not all of these. The computer's not a bad thing. This cell phone that you have and that I have, it's not a bad thing. But here's what's a bad thing. When I sit at my dinner table with my family and I respond to your text messages while I should be spending time at the dinner table with my kids, that's a bad thing. When I have to check my Facebook while I'm sitting at the dinner table with my four children, that's a bad thing. When I can't get off Twitter while I'm sitting on the couch, or I can't get off of those things while I'm sitting on the couch alongside of my wife, that's a bad thing. When the remote control is so stuck to my hand that I can't turn it off, it's a bad thing. I like television, I enjoy going to a movie. I enjoy being on Facebook and on Twitter. Not a lot because I don't understand it, to be real honest. I don't care if you went to the store yesterday. Just letting you know. I don't, I want to pray for your kids, but I don't care if your kid has a little sicky bug. They got a stuffy nose. Please pray for my kid. If it's that bad, text me. I'll pray for your kid. I'm sorry, I just hurt some of your feelings. But just me personally, that's not who I am. I'll post stuff on my kids, and if you go on my Facebook, you'll see stuff. But I can go days without posting, and some of you can't go minutes. But here's what I'm saying. Our families are under attack. Men, you're under attack. The home is under attack. And it's not just something that we deal with in 2014. Guess what? We're going to read in Malachi chapter 2, and they dealt with it a couple thousand years ago. Why? Satan knows if he gets your home, 
Think about this. If he gets my home, I have four kids. You want to talk about fear? I'm not going to lie to you. Fear is looking at my kids and seeing them destroyed in 10 years. It scares me. You shouldn't be afraid. No, it does. It scares me. I want my kids to be successful. I want my kids to grow up in whatever way and wherever they lead and whatever that would take them, wherever God would take them, whatever man that God has for my three girls and whatever lady that God has for my young little guy, I pray that whatever avenue of life that it takes them, that they serve the Lord in it. And it scares me to think that my kids would grow up and ever go, Dad, I don't like you because of what you did at church. I don't like you because... You spent more time with the people at your church than you did with me. Dad, I don't because of you. And I think we all know we're all adults. We're all big people in here. Kids have to make their own decisions. And I get that. But our homes homes are under attack. You know why our society is the way that it is? Because of our homes. Do you know why our churches are the way that they are? Because of our homes. It all intertwines together. When the church is strong, it encourages the home. When the home is strong, it allows the church to be strong. They all go hand in hand. They tie together. And listen, if our homes are falling apart inside of our church, then our church will eventually fall apart. If I stop standing firm on God's word and stop doing things that I know that I'm supposed to do, that affects this church church it affects my home when it does that it falls apart it crumbles that's what we see outside of our walls your kids get it they go to public school your kids get it well then i'm going to keep my kids at home i'm going to do i'll be honest with you i don't know that that makes a difference either sure it might help and i'm not against christian school i'm not against homeschooling don't that's not what i'm saying please don't hate my guts for that whatever But you still have to be mom and dad. If my kids go to Clark County or if my kids stay at home, I still have to be mom and dad. And at some point in their life, they're going to hear a curse word. And at some point in their life, they're going to see something that they don't, they've never seen before. And I'm going to have to go, children, this is why we don't do this in our home. And I still have to be parent. It's everywhere we look. It's on the news. Gay marriage. And all the, oh, bless God. Guess what? I'm, anti, I'm not for it, but it's not that that's going to destroy our lives in our world. You know what it is? It's our homes not doing what we know to do, which allow them to do what they do. Let's just be honest with it. It didn't happen overnight. Well, they took prayer out of school. Well, guess why they took prayer out of school? Because Christians stood up and did nothing. And the home stood up to do nothing, so therefore they could take all those things. Well, abortion. Well, guess what? If everybody would do, I mean, it's, it's a trickle-down effect. And much of it comes from within our churches. And so this morning, it's going to be this quiet a lot. But I'm just... As we look and as we we dive into God's word and as we look at what God's word has to say about 
really, it's not specifically family-driven in this whole topic, but as we look at the covenant, as we look at all of the different things that these people at this time, the Israelites at this time we're dealing with, and you want to put yourself right in the middle of that, it's right where we are. Because we do the same exact things. And so, Malachi chapter number 2, starting in verse number 10. Why don't we do this? This way at least I'll get some response out of you before the end of the service. Why don't we stand? We'll do responsive reading. We'll start in verse number 10 and we'll go to verse number 17. I'll start in 10. You come in at 11. And then we'll continue on and get to the points and get you out of here on time. Malachi chapter number 2 and starting in verse number 10. Have we, all, or have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously, yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant? And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wearing, have we wearied him? When ye say, Every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? Father, we thank you for the day that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that my heart would come forward in this message. Lord, that these people would know that I, I love them. These people would understand that your word speaks so clear on our homes. And Father, this isn't a message to attack. This isn't a message of any of those things. Father, but to strengthen our homes. Father, I ask that you would meet with us. Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Lord, that your hand would touch my mouth as it reads in Jeremiah. Father, that you'd be lifted up this morning. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. And you may be seated this morning. Again, Malachi chapter number 2. In verse number 10, we see, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? As we look again at this passage, we see right at the very beginning, we understand that the covenant was broken. 
And so if you're one that takes notes and you, you do all the points, I'm really not the best at points, but the first point would be that there was a broken covenant. You say, and we kind of look at this, well, kind of what does this mean? Where does this all come from? Again, as I stated right at the introduction, the, the children of Israel were given a covenant to, to marry inside of that Hebrew nation, inside of the Israelites. And we understand if we were to go and just kind of a, a, an off verse here, Deuteronomy chapter 7, this is where part of this would come from. But in Deuteronomy 7 in verses 2 and 3, I think it's on the screens there, but... Uh, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And so as we see this, the covenant that was created. Again, it wasn't long until Ezra came along where this same exact thing was taking place. And uh, I'm not going to go to the screens, but in Ezra chapter number 10, there at the very beginning of Ezra 10, we understand and we see that all of this was taking place and Ezra came along and, and wiped this out then. And now again in verse number 10, we see some of the same things that was taking place. As we look at this, there's a number of, of things as we uh, understand this passage of Scripture. I'm going to do some teaching along with preaching, but this wasn't talking as we look here, have we not all one Father? This specific passage is not talking about a universal God the Father type of a picture. This is talking specifically as to how God put together and created the children of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament on numerous occasions, it speaks of Israel being as a son to God. And so as we look at this passage, it's speaking specifically that God had created them, the children of Israel... And called them out separate as a nation. And so as we look at this, that dealing there as, as it says, All one Father hath not one God created. That dealing of created is not dealing with the creation of, of what God created as heaven and earth. Going back to Genesis, it's again dealing with the creation of the children of Israel. And calling them, separating them out of the, the world, so to speak. The question then that is being posed is why, if we are a special people of one God, created by one God, why do we deal so treacherously? Or why are we so angry? Why do we deal this way with our brother? And as we see this, it says, by profaning the covenant of our fathers. Malachi is coming to them and he's saying, hey, why? We've set all these things apart. God has set you apart. We, you were created specific and special in God's eyes. And here all of a sudden, now you want to take the covenant. You want to break the covenant. You want to do all these things and begin to deal. And you'll see this word treacherously a couple times in this passage. Is they were dealing this way with one another. The men that they were married to were, were saying, you know what, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to find this lady over here. Because of maybe influence outside? Again, you've got to look. You've got all of the things that are around them and the, the influence that was outside of the children of Israel and the, the strength and the power and all of those things. So many of those men would leave and they'd go out here and they'd find a, a daughter of some high influential person and they would say, you know what, I'm going to marry her. And I'm going to dip into that influence, so to speak. Well, all the while, 
When they do that, they leave family and children and everything else. They dealt treacherously. They dealt bad with those people, with their own. In verse number 11, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah hath profaned the holiness. Again, we see as these things were taking place, these acts were taking place, the nation itself was being defiled. Does that hit home? The nation itself was defiled. Not just my family, but the people, the nation, the the whole was in a mess. Look at our homes. Look at the nation in which we live in. 200 whatever years ago was founded on God's principles and we can stand on that and we can say that and yes it was and they can't take that out of history as much as they want to try. But when you begin inch by inch by inch by inch to take God out of that and you begin to take the family out of that, the nation is defiled. Why do we deal with what we deal with oftentimes as a nation? Why? Because the nation was defiled because the home has been defiled. Our communities that we live in are what? They're families that are together. It's not just my family and nobody else. Because my family affects everybody else that I'm around. And your family affects everybody else that you're around. When you go to work, your coworkers, just like you, have an opinion on the person that you work with and they have an opinion on you. When you come here to church, you have an opinion as to what you see. Right, wrong, or indifferent. But our families affect the whole. Our families affect the whole. The nation was being defiled. Our nation is defiled based on the families. And here's what it says. It says in verse number 11, it says, Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved. I don't know if there's anything in my study this past week that really jumped out at me more than that. More than the idea or the thought of God's holiness being profaned by me in my home. Is God welcome in our homes in a holy manner? Or do we defile that whole name inside of our homes? That's that's a tough thought. Because guess what that means? That's every aspect of our homes. And and Malachi was saying that the name, that he was profane, they profaned the holiness. They, They obliterated it. You've taken the holiness of God inside of our homes, inside, you've taken it and just blew it up. It's a scary thought when we begin to look at those things inside of our home. The men became guilty of intermarriage. Judah had married the daughter of a strange God that they were not to marry. 
They didn't want to intermarry because of the fear of seduction into idolatry or into the the false teachings of the people that surrounded them. If we were again to go back to uh, Exodus, and I'm just going to read you a couple verses just kind of giving background information. But in Exodus chapter 19 and verse number 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter number 2 and verse number 3, Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase, all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. The whole point, God had set them apart to be a holy people, and they were allowing those things to be defiled and profaned inside of their homes. The next thing we look at is the judgment that comes upon them based on the life and the sin of breaking that covenant. In verse number 12 it says, the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. The master and the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. The judgment that comes, it says right away, the Lord will cut off the man that doeth this. And there's a couple different things that are, are, are studied through scholar that, that speaks of this being cut away. Some of them is literally the, the thought of just death. Others of almost being exiled outside of the city, that when they would do this, they would be taken out. They would be kicked out of the city. And when that took place, that affected their families, that they would be ousted from the city. It could mean the descendants would cease. It could mean that there would be no more descendants inside of Israel. Regardless, the people, the men, would be cut out because of what they had chose to do. As we look and we take a, a look at this, and we, again, we don't have the same rules, so to speak, as this is dealing with through the covenant in our marriages as far as outside of Israel and all those things. But how do we kick out the holiness of God in our homes, and then how does that affect us? How does that affect our family? What is the judgment that comes when we kick that holy aspect out of our home? And again, we got to understand, if we, we stop and just kind of evaluate this, I'm not saying perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm after. But think of your home. What ways have we kind of taken that holiness out, and then what's the judgment of that? For some, we live that judgment. For some, maybe our children will live that judgment. But it affects us. It affects the family. It affects the home. Inside of the church is just as high, if not a higher divorce rate than outside of the church. It affects the nation, but it affects our churches when those things take place. And oftentimes that takes place based on the the holiness being taken out of our home. As we continue the hurt of a broken covenant... In verse number 13, it says, And this have ye done again. Again, as we look at that, we understand back in a number of years back, it happened. Here we, go, here we see it, it happening again. And Malachi is saying, with this whole divorce thing, and it says this, Covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, and so much that he regardeth not the offering anymore, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. The thought here was that brokenness, those that are 
are covering the altar with the tears, being the, the wives that have been left behind from these men that have left and the families that are left behind. It affects people. And again, I'm not specifically dealing with, and please, 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 I understand where we are in the day and age in which we live. I'm not specifically dealing with divorce right now, but it affects our home. The decisions that I make affect that woman right there. It affects each one of my four children. When I take the holiness out of my home, it affects my home to the point that, Lord willing, we would come and weep on the altar. But that's not exactly what this is talking about. The deed had been done. They were gone. The ladies are left. The women at this time were left weeping. What do I do now? Where do I go now? What's next? If you know anything about the scripture of Old Testament, when the ladies were divorced, they're gone. It wasn't like today's day and age where you can get divorced, you can go down the street and everything's good. If a lady was divorced, You didn't just walk down the street. That was a major thing. And so here they are. Dealing with children. Wives that would sit at the altar. And then as we look in verse 14. We've seen this a couple times all throughout. And starting in verse uh, 12, it talks about him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And 13, it says, again, similar thing, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say in verse 14, Wherefore, because the Lord hath been witness between thee, as we look at this, these men are now coming back and saying, But yet, wait, I've put my offering at the altar. I've came. I've given my sacrifice. I did all this. Yes, this happened. But, but what do you mean? I'm still giving my offer, my sacrifice, my offering. Let me ask you this. How many times, and this is me raising my hands guilty as charged, have we came to this place or any other place that you may have come to to worship and offer? That the holiness has left your home. And we've came. Putting on our nice outfit. Looking sharp. Raising our hands in worship. Saying God. I've given you my offering. I've given you my sacrifice. What's the problem? We expect God. Because I came and I bowed at the altar, or I came and I gave my tithe, I gave him my offering, I gave him my sacrifice. And in verse 14 it says, Wherefore, but God, what do we why aren't you taking it? Why aren't you accepting my sacrifice? Guilty as charged standing in front of you. And if you think I should be a perfect man, I apologize, I am not. And if you've never heard me say that, I will say that again. I am not a perfect man. Guilty as charged that I've put on this cool suit and I've stood up here and sang or I've stood up here and taught or I've taught students having given my sacrifice and gone, God, I don't understand why you wouldn't make this the greatest service ever. God, I don't understand. I gave you my sacrifice. I gave you my time. And God says, but you completely defiled the 
the holiness. You profane the holiness over here. You can't just go, oh, um, uh, here you go, God, and we're all good, right? That's not how it works. We learned a little bit of that in Sunday school this morning. Where God says what? And Mark, was it uh, Mark? Luke, I don't remember, 14, whatever it was. But where it speaks of hating your father and mother, and if you want to give everything to abandon for Christ, that's what it's about. And so many times we just kind of go, well, man, bummer, I messed that up. Oh, here we go. God, here's my uh, sacrifice to you, and I think we're okay, right? It doesn't work like that. Yes, God forgives, and don't, I'm not saying that. God wants our life. God wants our sacrifice. God wants everything of who we are. Inside of our homes, He wants everything of who we are. And we can't just put on a cool suit, and we can't just put on our dress, and we can't put on our Sunday best, or whatever you want to call it, and come to church and go, God, everything's okay, right? I'm at your house. But I think far more than it ever should is how we approach church and how we approach God. Well, God, here you go. And in 14, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and thy wife, of, or the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Malachi says, this is why it doesn't work that way. The Lord saw this. The Lord was a part of, remember when you stood and you said those vows and you did the covenant and you gave yourself? The Lord was a part of that. It wasn't like he didn't see that. It wasn't like he wasn't a part of the covenant that you gave. In whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion? A companion is, means to bind, to join, or to unite. God joined a man and a woman in union together, which was intended only to be parted in death. And then it says at the end of that, Yet is she thy companion and thy wife of the covenant. Your covenant wife, when we go into that, she's your, your husband, your spouse is that, that covenant. A solemn vow of fidelity had, to, had been exchanged before God and men. Now these marriages were being broken based on the lusts of these men to go outside of what God had called them to do. Verse 15, and I promise we'll be wrapping this up. You guys can, the nerves can, can go away. And did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Again, there's more thoughts of this than just one. I can't just sit here and say, well, this is exactly what it meant. But as we look at this, God made one woman for one man. He designed it that way from the beginning for one life to be together. It is also thought to mean that in that marriage, you become one. And so there's one school of thought that would say that God created one person. He made me specifically and only for her. And in that, there's the other thought that he created man and woman. And when they come together in marriage, they become one. There's also, it says, as you continue reading, it speaks, um, therefore take heed to your spirit and let none 
uh, I'm done wrong. He did not make one, yet he had he the residue of the Spirit. Again, we look at this, Malachi, it also could say that if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, God could have made Adam and five women, but he chose to make one. The thought that there was a woman for a man. Even kind of hits home on the the thought of polygamy and all of those different things. God was seeking godly seed. He was looking to the future. Again, he said what? He said to multiply in Genesis. And as we look at all these things, and I I, I think we all understand this, just because a man and a woman become married and have children, that does not make them have godly seed. I think we're all aware of that. However, I believe scripturally, based on how God put it together, that that is the greatest formula for godly seed and for successful children. That we would live together, stay together, and raise our children together. We all understand the the cause and the hurt that causes or that comes from a broken home. I don't think I have to go into those details. Many of you that sit in this room today would say, I am victim, so to speak, of a broken home. And you understand the hurt greater than I ever would. And God was speaking here that He put one for one. And they, again, taking that completely out of that. And say, here is where men, women, we must grab hold of or take heed to your spirit and let none, let nothing deal treacherously with the the wife of thy youth. As we look at this and before we go to the last point this morning, at the end of this it says, therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. As we kind of begin to wrap up this service and the sermon this morning, take heed to your spirit. Men, are you heeding to God and the Spirit that He gave to you towards that woman? I don't have this together by any means. I promise you I don't have it together. I've been fortunate enough to be married now for 11 years. Last night I went out on a date with my wife. Men, let me tell you something. I don't know how long you've been married, but if you ain't been on a date in the last month, you need to go. Well, I've got kids. I've got four. Send them to me. I'll babysit so that you can have a healthy home. Go date your wife. I'm not perfect. That was the, it's been far too long since we've been out on a date. But you need to do it. Take heed to the Spirit, lest you deal treacherously with her. If you don't, you'll grow apart. I was sitting next to a a couple just the other day, yesterday. I did a a funeral for um, the deans and somebody within their family. And one of the family friends sat at at a seat and I talked to them for about 30, 40 minutes. Married 58 years. I'm like, that's incredible. That's awesome. 
Now, I get there's broken. I'm, I, please, please, please understand my heart. But that's incredible to see. And I, you call me weird. It's the, to me, I love seeing an old couple that holds hands walking down the street. Or I love in the mall when you see that or whatever it is. And she sat there and she put her hand on his thigh. And that's incredible to me. That doesn't mean they have a perfect home. But men, if you're married, I don't care what your age is. I don't care if you've been married a month. Date your wife. I don't know much. I'm still young at this. I'm still working. But I attempt to date my wife. I don't write notes like I should. I I don't do enough flowers. I praise God every day that my wife is not a rose person. Thank you, Jesus. I can get a cheap wildflower rose flowers at the Albertsons or Walmart, and it's great. But I'm, regardless, I, I attempt to do that. I actually did this week, didn't I? Ching. But listen, date your wife. You got to. Take that back. Remember when you first met? You remember when you stood at the altar? And you may look right now and go, I don't like you. I don't care. Figure it out. Fall back in love. Because that's what this is talking about. The spirit. Take heed to your spirit that ye deal deal not treacherously. And as we close in verse number 17, it says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Ye say, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? And basically what this is saying, and I've had this conversation even this week. Have you ever met that person that you don't think good should continue to happen to? They did you wrong. They continue to go on with life and be very successful. And you go, they don't deserve to be successful. Do you know what they did? You go, God, I don't understand. I'm attempting to do right, and yet I continue to smack my face against the wall and not get any further while this person did me as wrong, as wrong, as wrong could be. And look how successful they are. That's what verse 17 is saying. And these people, these men, these, the Israelites would go to God over and over and over and over again and say, God, we've followed these commandments, we've done all these things, but yet we have no success. And look at all of them out there. Look at them. They're successful. They're wealthy. They have everything. They have everything. And Malachi said, you know what? That story is old. Zip it. Sometimes the whole grass is greener on the other side thing. It's right there in Scripture. It's basically what this is. As we wrap up, I understood before I stood here this morning that this was going to be a subject that was not going to be loved. But I believe wholeheartedly, as I stated at the very beginning, our homes are under attack. 
And there are certain principles, there are certain things that we can look at here in this passage when it deals with the stewardship. Stewardship is me stewarding my home. The children that God's given me. The wife that God has given to me. And when we look at all these things, it affects us. Each and every area of these, from breaking of the covenant to keeping our home holy, or do we profane and kind of kick out that holiness from looking at the judgment and how that does and how that deals with us to looking at the hurt when we fail to do all those things. I believe from this morning there's something that each and every one of us can take out of this message. You may say, well, Pastor Aaron, I have been divorced. Can I say this, and again, not being an expert, not of any of those things, God still uses you. I know many people that sit in this room that God uses in an incredible, incredible way that have had that in their lives. This morning's message was not to condemn or condone you for that. Please, 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 I beg you don't leave thinking that. There's in no way, shape, or form that that was in any way the heart behind this message. The heart behind this message is that we would grab a hold of our family. And each one of these things, though much of this was based on divorce per the the scripture text, is our home. It is your home. And maybe you're on your second wife. Treat her just as what this was supposed to be. Forgive yourself and move forward. Serve the Lord. Honor God. I don't know what that is for you. But I do know this. Our homes have got to be founded on that. And when we do everything that we can to base the home that God has us right now on this, you're going to have a stronger home. We're going to have a stronger church. You're going to have a stronger community. And that's the only thing that will bring America back in any way, shape, or form is the home taking control of what we can take control of in our home. It's not, yes, the White House, I get it. We all get the White House. But if our homes are right, we'll be okay. If our homes are right, your churches will be strong. Your community will be strong. Your neighborhoods will be strong. And all of those things will take place. With every head bowed and every eye closed,